Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the story of God's promises in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis is chocked full of promises from God to the people. We've heard the promise from God to the world, from God to the Hebrew people in the form of Abraham. Today, we hear the story of a person and a promise. God's promises are getting more narrow and more specific. Joseph is a dreamer. He's always been a dreamer. It's the classic tale of the penultimate younger brother who was more handsome, more intelligent, just more than his older brothers, who wanted to leave the life of a sheep farmer behind. He lived in his mind in the life of dreams. His dad saw him for what he was and, in a bit of bad parenting, made an obvious and overt action in support of Joseph's dream. Or maybe it was a consolation prize. Sorry, son, I know you dream of bigger things, but I'm afraid you are stuck here raising sheep. Maybe this coat will help. This dreaming was intolerable. The older brothers were threatened and challenged by the dream of the one who didn't fit into their lifestyle, who challenged what they held to be important. So full of anger and jealousy, they sold Joseph into slavery. This is the first of a series of injustices Joseph will experience, yet God continues to send him dreams, reminders, blessings in the form of opportunity and hope. Joseph remembered the promises of God, the promises God told to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. There are three people in today's story, Potiphar, the Egyptian authority who owns Joseph, and Potiphar's wife who ran the household in which Joseph worked, and Joseph, the Hebrew, who ran the household for real. Joseph was beautiful. Joseph was talented enough to rise into a place of great responsibility and freedom to come and go as needed. But no amount of beauty and talent changes the one fact which defines Joseph. He is a Hebrew. Hebrews were not yet a people group, not yet a country as we think of them post-Exodus. They are not the people they will be after the conquest of Canaan when they revolt against the rules of the land and become a ruling force. At this point in the story of the Bible, the word Hebrew is a slur. It means someone on the bottom rung of society, the dirt and dregs of the world. No matter Joseph's potential, his talent, his beauty, he will never overcome his social standing. He would always be less. Potiphar's wife, on the other hand, is a woman of means who in the static social classes of the Egyptian world had always been rich and powerful, and of high status. She held all the levers of power. Now we've been conditioned by these circumstances to think Cinderella, to expect a glass slipper and the slave who gets rescued by the handsome prince. But this is not that story. This is the story of Harvey Weinstein, of Jeffrey Epstein, of countless women and some men in shelters throughout our country, of the nameless and faceless person who leaves without a word, the story of those taken advantage of, pressured into, forced. It's the story of Emmett Till, 
who was 14 years old when he was lynched in 1955 because he, quote, offended a white woman. This is not a Cinderella story. Joseph was attacked by a person in power over him who held all the reins of authority, who had pressured and pleaded and threatened him. Joseph said no. The response to the assault compounds the injustice. Joseph is standing naked in the courtyard and is arrested. No one listens to his story or believes the truth of it because who is a Hebrew to tell the truth? Potiphar's wife still holds all of the cards. Joseph is forced to flee, a permanent stain. The response compounds the injustice. There was a young girl in Iowa last week who was forced to pay her attacker's family $180,000 in restitution. Restitution because she was forced to defend herself in order to be set free. Hurt, angry, embarrassed, Potiphar uses her power to punish Joseph for refusing her, for standing up for his own integrity, for the effrontery of remembering in the midst of all of this God's promise, which came in the form of the dream. This is not the end of your story, God told Joseph. I still have plans for you, God says. Those dreams you held will not be stamped out. I know who you are and who you will be, Joseph. These prison walls do not define you. I define you, God tells him. There seems to be a lot of argument these days about justice. Lots of people throw the word around until it has become almost a meaningless phrase at the end of their agenda. We hear about social justice and economic justice and climate justice and legal justice and criminal justice and the justice system and justice justice and lady justice and many more. And none of them are God's justice. We abuse and misuse the term as a prop, a political prop, but none of these are justice as God defines justice in the Bible. When God tells us to do justice, it's with a very specific purpose in mind. God is always on the side of the vulnerable, the brokenhearted, the weak, the one without power. Throughout the Bible, God sends dreams. God sends blessings to people with less than or no standing. The Hebrew, the one nobody sees. It's not hard to find examples. You can open the Bible just about anywhere. Everywhere Jesus went, he was healing someone, touching someone, talking with someone everyone else thought was worthless. The woman at the well, herself a victim of the injustice of Leverite marriage, forced to sell herself because she was viewed as worthless. The man by the pool of Siloam, who had been laying on his mat for seven years, depending on food dropped by strangers. The widow of Zarephath, who was given enough bread to feed her son and Elijah until Elijah went home again. When the Hebrews crossed the Red Sea, it was Miriam who was given the song to sing, the song of promises, the reminders of the blessings God had in store across the river. And it is the barren mother who gives birth to Samuel. 
God is always on the side of the one without power, the one no one expects to be worth anything good. God gives them dreams, and in doing so, they are given the blessing of the strength to face one more day, the blessing of integrity, of person, of identity, of being known and seen and believed by the God who will not abandon them. Rejoice and be glad, the song tells us. The kingdom of God is for you, for the victim of abuse, for the brokenhearted, for the one who lived in truth while someone else, someone with power and authority took advantage, for the one nobody sees. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I didn't forget. I know at the beginning I told you there were three people in the story, and so far I've only talked about two, but there is one more. There's Potiphar. Potiphar, who stood by as his wife abused Potiphar's position of power and authority, who, though he trusted Joseph with his entire household, believed his wife over him because Joseph was, after all, just a Hebrew. The man who treated Joseph as an equal until it might cost him something. Then Joseph went right back to being a Hebrew. Someone who couldn't be trusted to tell the truth. Someone of which Potiphar should be afraid. God blesses the vulnerable, the brokenhearted, the one who is alone in a jail cell with only their thoughts to hear. Potiphar and his wife have all the trappings of power, but none of the integrity or blessings of God. God who sees the truth of who they were. God who knew Potiphar's wife as one who abused her power and position God who saw Potiphar, who turned a blind eye to the injustice happening before him, and the God who saw Joseph. Joseph, who remembered the promises of God, who held on to a dream. God chose Joseph, and God blessed him, even in the midst of the jail cell. Joseph lived a dream and trusted the dream, even when no one else could see him. But here is the truly awesome thing about God. The amazing thing about this story we call holy. God offers blessings to the powerful too. The ones who abused their position, who caused hurt. And this is where we get a little icky. I said it was awesome, this free giving grace of God. And we are very comfortable with God blessing the brokenhearted. But God offers grace to the captor as much as the captive. The blessings just look different because God's blessing to the powerful is that they recognize their guilt and their complicity and their ignorance. God blesses them with change. When God opened the jail cell to let Peter go free, it was the jailer who was offered grace and was redeemed. When Jesus gave Pilate the grace of the truth, and set the criminals on the crosses next to him free. That was grace given to those who didn't deserve it. Jesus forgave the man who crucified him, the men who were the little ar- literal arms of the power of the state. God blessed David with a calling to account for his actions, and God blessed Paul by changing his way. God's grace is free and available 
for both sinner and saint. Which means God's grace is for you wherever you find yourself in this story. God blesses you with strength for the journey or the will to change. With freedom from captivity, whether freedom from your captor or freedom from the trappings you believe to be blessings, but are really chains. God blesses you with the dreams and the ability to see truth in the midst of the storm. God blesses you with truth and the ability to hear voices which may have been long silenced, with the power to hear God speak the kind of grace which breaks stone hearts and silences minds. God offers you grace whether you are captive or captor. Let it set you free.